0: Hello, I'm Sarah Connolly and today I'm talking all the way from Australia to Dr Bridie O'Donnell about, well, mostly about her attempt on the hour record. Bridie, how are you?
1: I'm very well. How are you, Sarah?
0: I am fine. So, obviously the news has been this week that you are going to attempt to take down Molly Shaffer Van Howling's hour record on January 22nd. Why?
1: I prefer to think of it as me setting a new record rather than taking her down. It's not like an (laughs) MMA Sort of thing in a cage. Thank God, I would win. Actually, I'm a lot taller than
0: her. Oh, that would be um, awesome! You know, you know, there's a set of fans who will pay to see cyclists take it down with like fists. Mm. And... Well, we have seen some pretty great
1: shots of very, very anorexic Spanish men trying to whack each other at the top of the car. <laughs> <laughs> with can... skinny arms.
0: I know, I know. Isn't that attractive? And, and you know, I think, I think the women's peloton. We've also seen some very good shots of the women's peloton get all elbowy. So you know, oh, I... fair
1: enough. God, yeah. I would If I was fast and a great, great sprinter, I would use my elbows. I have no need for them. I'm not there in the final few hundred <laughs> metres of a race ever.
0: So why the hour, Brady Oh, it's totally the perfect event for me. I think
1: um, it's one of those things where a uh, combination of physical talent, preparation, logistics, pacing, commitment to a cause, Paperwork, obsessiveness, so much paperwork.
0: stubbornness, obsessiveness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it really is perfect for me, and I think that um, where I have uh, not that I want to use the word failed, but failed in my own attempts to um, become satisfied with a with a result or a performance against a world-class field in time trials, which was really my passion and, and preoccupation for um, the last five or six years, um, a lot of things were conspiring against me, not least of all the fact that I didn't start riding and, um, until I was 34. Mm-hmm. So I was I was just so behind the eight ball that um, when I would line up at world championships or um, other stage races in Europe and America, I just hadn't done enough racing. And so all of those minor or major things like your ability to handle a TT bike on a descent (laughs) uh, like we had, for example, at Varese, the course at Varese World Champs, which was my first World Champs, was really technical um, and had a lot of climbing. And you think of the woman who won, Amber Neven, and where I came, which was, I think, 23rd. It was just, it was a galaxy away. I mean, it's great to qualify and go to Worlds, but I was so far away from being, you know, in the mix. Um, So there were a lot of races that I've done in the past where I prepared really, really perfectly and done my best and been in great form. But that's been a long way away from uh, the performances of The Women Who Win. And I think that's what's so wonderful about the hour record as well. For the first time, and I, that shows that I've grown up as well, I'm not doing this to beat anyone or to to set or to even imagine that there is anyone else involved or that they will go on to break it. That's my sole purpose is for me to get an exceptional performance out of myself and to aim to be a new world record holder. And that should be anyone's goal, of course, to set the new hour record. Great chat with Michael Hutchinson where he said, you know, people were critical of Alex Dowsett, that he, he made it look too easy. And you think, well, he broke the record that's that's the objective. Even if you break it by a metre or 100 metres or you're Bradley Wiggins and you break it by a lot, you still got to break the record. It's number one objective. You don't want to end up being the guy or girl that doesn't. Um, so I think that um, I, I want to guess, I guess I want to kind of have a culmination of all of my uh, talents. And when I say talents, I mean... I have a talent for being hardworking and disciplined and sticking to a plan and not going crazy with my pacing and all those mm-hmm. sorts of things. And and that's it's not just all about physiology. It's actually about all of the things that are required. And I've got the most amazing group of people helping me. So I feel calm about it, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, obviously you famously come from a scientific background. Look, What is your job title? Because I keep reading orth- Orthopaedic Surgeon <laughs> and I don't think yeah. it's right.
1: It's not right. I'm a physician. I work at a hospital in Melbourne and I have this awesome, couple of awesome jobs and I, um, I mainly see people who are generally well and I end up giving them, I, I want to kind of improve health literacy if you like. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a really passionate advocate for behaviour change and because so many of us are getting sick and dying of lifestyle diseases or Western diseases like diabetes and heart disease and all, many forms of cancer which are kind of preventable or manageable if we improve our diet and, and exercise a bit more. So my job centers around that and I work at a breast cancer clinic where I see all um, long-term breast cancer follow-up patients. So they've had breast cancer and they're coming back for their annual review and I examine them and look at their mammograms, but I also then annoyingly say to them, hey, let's talk about being a bit more active. What? Tell me what activity you do. Let's talk about the way that you're eating. Let's talk about your weight. And how much alcohol you drink because we know that those things are more important in decreasing the risk of recurrence of breast cancer than chemotherapy is, which is mind blowing. So um, I, have, I have a couple of great jobs. They give me a bit of flexibility. I don't work the crazy long hours that I used to when I was um, working in emergency or in intensive care.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's funny. It's funny because I was like, "What? What? whoa Surgeon?" That's that's kind of um. That's kind of anyway. But no, not. It's kind of interesting. Not. I was
1: an assistant surgeon uh, for many years, and when I was yeah. racing, I would come back to Australia and spend the summer being an assistant orthopedic surgeon. But that's you haven't gone through the surgical training program, um, and there's no way you could be. A, good surgeon and work and be uh, an athlete or very much of anything else most of them aren't very good at being parents even <laughs> they're not you know <laughs> or human uh, beings oh yeah well no there's some wonderful surgeons and I work with some of them but it is like many things it's a, a major vocation so it's like asking Peter Sagan what else do you do yeah. and he would say well, I make out with models and, and I ride my bike but <laughs> there's not a lot of time otherwise <laughs>
0: Yeah, well I mean there's not gonna be a lot of time with the hour. I mean you've got you've announced it now, which is interesting at the beginning of January the beginning of November. So you've got why all is that of, interesting? well it seems <laughs> I, I'm just no, I'm I'm interested I'm okay, I have to tell you I have complicated feelings about the hour. So... so let's talk about that. Let's unpack that so <laughs> no, I have complicated about it. Um, I it's it's like it's like for me, I'm very sorry. It's like, and and what's interesting to me is is I'm interested in the people who do the hour. Do you know what I mean? So when Sarah Sorry was was um, mm-hmm. amazing Paralympian, um, does really really well in the time trials, the able body time trials. um Tried for the hour, that was that I was fascinated because it was Sarah, but yeah, you know what I mean. But as an event, it kind of is the least it's it it kind of combines the things that I enjoy least about cycling. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah but I'm also interested in the um the hype around it because, you know, it's it's a very um I mean, you know, I think I think I mentioned it to you before, but I was I I, I'm quite interested in the fact that like the riders who I think are going to complete, who could completely smash it out of the ballpark right now, well, until you do it, of course, uh, people like Ellen Van Dyke and Lisa Brenauer they have very definitely put their hats on the table to say we're not doing it until after the Olympics. Uh-huh. And so I'm interested in the hype around it, the stories around it, the fact that the rules seem to change every 10 minutes. Do you know what I mean? So, and mm. the fact that we seem to be in a new world of it, but you know, what do you get? Like, if you won the, if you beat the hour record, will you go to Abu Dhabi for the uh, <laughs> end of the, you know, end of the cycling season disco? You know, uh, oh, tell me, tell me everything what you think about it. Goodness,
1: oh, I feel like you feel very bitterly about it. No, I think, no, no, um, not
0: at all. No, I not- think you're, I think
1: you are. Can, sorry, I was just going to say, I think you are complicating it. I don't think it is that complicated. Firstly, don't forget, um, athletes. Um, elite athletes in particular and I am no exception in this category I'm not saying I'm elite like a lot of the women that are getting paid to ride their bike but we are very we are constantly um, receiving unsolicited advice very very frequently from the highest level down to riding around training and some person tells you what you should be doing so I wouldn't be surprised if lots of very strong elite Um, and all world-class female time trials are being told they should do this you should go for the hour I'm sure people have suggested it to Voss many times and thankfully because Voss is crazy over-talented over-committed and unfortunately for her has been a bit injured this year she's probably strong enough to say uh thanks nice idea but I'm doing my I have my own plan thanks and my Mm -hmm. own schedule and I have my own coach or my own goals but there's always going to be people that will say to someone strong, you should do this. And then they think then they've owned that idea and then the athlete thinks maybe they should and the team says we think this is a good idea and you could promote our new time trial bike or whatever else. So that could be why there are pe- there is more buzz about it for sure. Um, but as for the reasons I outlined to you before, for some athletes it really is about a project where they feel like they could do extraordinarily well. And as I said in my blog on monday this is a major mission for me like i have to it's a commitment it's um it's a major data collection it's like a whole doing a whole study on yourself how can i improve myself from being from this point to that point. And from me, I have enormous improvement because I'd never ridden on a track before. <laughs> I've never done a pursuit or a, um, that sort of event before, but I've done an Ironman before and I've averaged 40k an hour for 180k. And I've tried to stay in a, in a relentless position and eaten well. And, and all of that was a strategy around uh, discipline and commitment and a mental application. So I actually think for some athletes like me, and for Molly Van Howling, if I can um speak for her given that I've listened to a lot of her interviews, it's a perfect event for us. It's also an event that where in the scheme of things money doesn't make and team connections make no major difference. Now obviously Wiggins had 3D printed handlebars and the whole of GB cycling, you know, hand sewing him a, a suit, but he still had to push the pedals around in a circle for an hour and it didn't. Ma- it doesn't really matter how much money you have if you're in the right team. Um, and he and Molly Van Howling got, got to choose, when will I do this, when will it suit me? So I actually don't have any of those conflicts. I don't have a pro team or a team director saying, yes, but we need you to be fit for that or you've got to do it at this date because our bike sponsor is launching a new frame around that time so this isn't about um the marketing of a product i get to choose the products that i ride and 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 i test them the way molly did i think is this helmet best for me or not so for me it's like one big amazing scientific experiment and the only risk at the end is that i'm humiliated so you know that's um i've been humiliated before i've failed before so uh initially that was my only reservation, like, oh, God, what if I don't achieve it and everyone will point at me and say, what a loser. And now the more that I've put time and energy into this, I realise actually it's all about the preparation and the commitment and putting your hand up and getting to the start line in good shape. And, in fact, I think the whole discussion and dissection of the event, I know it's boring to watch if you don't like science and maths, but if you like science and maths, looking at split times and determining whether or not someone's on the right pace and knowing that athlete and seeing how things unfold. That's actually, I don't think that's boring.
0: Yeah, no, I think I'm going to have to call this Brydie helps me love the hour because I, <laughs> you, you, you know, and, and I think to me part of it is about how it's been marketed as well. Do you know what I mean? Like I think, yeah. I don't think it helped that when, you know, Jens Voigt came off his season and just did it seemingly without preparation and a couple of other athletes seem to do it without any, you know, well, I mean, I guess that makes a better narrative, doesn't it? Because then if you don't do it, um, you yeah. Yeah. oh well I wasn't really trying <laughs> And yeah. if you do do it it's like oh yeah I'm brilliant <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's I'm, so I, that's that's why I'm interested yeah. in you announcing it now you know
1: okay so we're announcing it now because um, a big part of it too is to make a cool event for Australian fans to watch and that mm. was not my idea that was max Stevens idea who who works for Uh, as an events managing um, company dude, but he also works with Cycling Australia. So he's the uh, engine room behind the the idea of running it as an event and having it at the Superdrome in Adelaide when the Tour Down Under is on is his idea. So while we have a great track here in Melbourne um, disc where I've been training on a weekly basis, um, it doesn't seat many people, and we want to make sure there's a bit of atmosphere, a bit of a buzz, and a warm time of year. So it had to be January. And some of that even just came down to scheduling. Like DISC have been great. But when I first emailed them about this months ago, they said, oh, maybe you could do it in November. And I said, well, that's too soon because I won't have had my um, X amount of months on the biological passport registered testing mm-hmm. pool. And then they said, oh, maybe we could do it. And I thought, actually, I need a date because that helps me with my planning. And The biological passport people need to have proven. There's all these boxes that needed to be ticked. So um, by announcing it now, there's there is some buzz and hype about it, the idea. But it also. Seriously, I've been struggling to keep this a secret this whole time. <laughs> um, other than that one dirtbag website breaking the press release embargo, um, you know, no, not many people knew about this. So that was pretty cool for me to finally say, hey, there's, this, there's all this been training. You know you know why I sit on the front of crits all the time? I'm doing it for training purposes, <laughs> not because I'm a moron. <laughs>
0: Which is nice. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I guess, I guess by now, do you have an idea? I, I mean, it's really hard to uh, to know what to us like. Do you have an idea about if you can make it or, or not at this stage? Or are you still learning? Because I can't imagine you, because I can't imagine you, if you've been trying f- from now, I can't imagine you actually announcing and doing it if you thought you were going to fail catastrophically.
1: I think that is a very astute observation. I also think catastrophic failure comes from one of two places, Um, inappropriate pacing, like a little bit of a brain meltdown or um, not not enough preparation. So um, I think as Michael Hutchinson said again, I'll quote him a lot because I've listened to a lot of great interviews with him, by putting your hand up. And and paying the exorbitant fee to the UCI to be put back into the registered testing pool, that alone is enough to say this is serious. I've got to devote this time, energy, money, uh, bring these people in to help me because this is my goal. And what what do we need to do now? So every time I've gone to the track has been a test and data collection type of session Mm. until until I've started seeing the smiles on the faces of the wonderful lads that are coaching me. Um, It's quite funny though. I, from the very beginning, believed that I could do it, but it's (laughs) taken a while to convince people around me. So then I thought, okay, maybe I'm cuckoo or maybe people just have you know they didn't believe in me or they just thought and which is fair enough um oh, i don't know you've never raced on a track before and i think the where the differences between men and women's our record comes in would be there so we've seen molly van howling and myself making now some inroads on our track skills but then we hear stories about guys like dowson wiggins who have spent thousands of yeah. hours on a velodrome yeah. they know exactly what a pace is and how to ride a line so that's why the disparity between the speeds is there, not just to do with chromosomal differences, but the the calibre of the riders who've done extremely well in the men's hour record have been different. They've been higher-skilled riders, track riders, than the women so far. And that's why, sure, down the track, a woman with greater track skills and maybe a greater watts per kilo might have a go, but she also might not have the right brain. I mean, both Molly and I are 41. Um, We're measured athletes who've improved over time, We've never been beholden to other guidelines that we've needed and had lunatic, you know, Italian or Dutch or German directors telling us what we had to do. So uh, and you're both very, different-
0: very, very intelligent women. You know, you're both professional. You're both sure. You're both very. Sure. You know, you're both people who've who've achieved professionally, which takes. Um, you know, so you've got the self discipline and you've got the kind of intelligence to. To look at it in analytical ways, although Molly, you know, you're, you're you're from a science background. Molly is a as a lawyer. Bloody lawyers! Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> she can pick. <laughs> she's, she's
1: absolutely. I mean, she is a gold standard. Not just obviously a world record holder now, and a masters record holder, and a US. Um, uh, our record holder but yeah knows about the idea of um, short-term pain for long-term gain you know delayed gratification working on something for a long time to become something else you know anyone there's a lot of as you know a very Uh, highly qualified women racing in the European Pro Peloton and in the US and Australian National Road Series Uh, just by the very nature of women's cycling. If you can't make a living doing it, you've got to be doing other things. So, Mm. and I'm not suggesting that male cyclists aren't as clever. They've got the the ones who haven't been educated, tertiary tertiary educated doesn't mean they don't, their brain cells don't work, but they just haven't had the need to do that because there's a a pathway for them to become professionals. So I think that... um, Maturity is a big part of this. We've seen we've seen the best performances of Ironman triathletes come from women in their late thirties to early forties because it's about mental maturity as much as it is about physical talent.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, so much to unpick there. I mean, I think you mentioned the difference between the men and women, the women. The other thing is that women, when they're time training they're not training for a forty-six kilometer time trial. They're, tra- you know what I mean? Mm. I, looked, I looked at time trials for world championships. And there was only like five ITTs across the world in, um, apart from nationals in, in a uh, women's UCI races that were over 20, over 20 kilometers, you know? So Absolutely. it's like, so that's one of the reasons why, you know, if you're training, if your races are like averaging 15, 20 kilometres then that's what you train for isn't it like it's, yeah. it's it's not that they're and in the same way as they're not like you know this thing about women couldn't ride a tour de france stage because their stages mm-hmm. are so shorter it's like well no but if you lengthen the stage they train differently you know you,
1: well also different people would win i mean it's the yeah. same argument about five sets of tennis i think that we'd see um you know there's more capacity to uh, be slower at the start of an hour one hour record or a one hour time trial on the road and that's why uh, your argument about hour and van dyke We don't know what sort of athletes they are over a one-hour time trial. We know how strong they are, but both of them actually sprint very well. We've seen Brenau win, didn't she win the Tour of Britain, um, by by being basically in the top three or five of every stage. So she's got a great kick on her and we know Van Dyke does as well. So the ratio of type one to type two fibres, you know, type two are those fast twitch sprintability fibres of which we could argue someone like uh, Hosking has a lot of and she's a good time trialist but if you ask her to time trial over a, an hour her power uh, may not be anywhere near as good as uh, Shara Gillow who has no kick on her at all but is got amazing uh, lactate tolerance and can climb or Vanderbregen for example can climb and climb and climb and be amazingly powerful so we don't know the capabilities of some of our world-class time trialists because um, and I would argue someone like Willemson would be much better at an hour record you know she she's uh, a diesel engine and we've seen that in her time trial performances and in the way that she races there's never any <laughs> high changes of pace yeah. in someone like Williams Willemson. so um it's it's about the nature of the athlete of, as well and you wouldn't discover that until you'd committed a six-month time to it and as you outlined a lot of those women don't want to do that I mean why why would you do the hour if you're an Olympian a world champion, a possibility of winning uh, now the new Women's World Tour races and wearing a jersey, why waste your time on something that doesn't give you, it gives you either a victory or a failure. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's going to be a, a glut of people, particularly women. We just, the elite women on a world-class level don't have as many wonderful opportunities to win money and fame and jerseys um, and stages as the men do. So they have to grab onto them as, as best they can.
0: Mm, 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 mm. Ooh. Oh, it's so interesting. I just got like, <laughs> that, I've got my piece of paper which is just Oh you,
1: sorry, go, please. No,
0: no, 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 no. It's just like every time everything you ask, I kind of create I've created this mind map of conversations because it's just like Bridie O'Donnell's helped me laugh the hour. I never thought this was possible, Bridey. It's so uh... oh,
1: I'm very powerful. I'm like a hypnotist.
0: <laughs> now you mentioned money. Um you mentioned the biological passport. So I'm gonna like see if I can break these down into little quest into related questions. So first of all you mentioned the biopassport, which women aren't on in the pro paleson they're kind of tested by their federations but they're not on the biopassport in the same way as the men are and mm-hmm. having and you're having to pay to be on that
1: mm-hmm.
0: now one of the argue i got into so many arguments when the hour came out a lot of people were kind of implying that all you had to do was basically rock up at the velodrome and go for it. And I was mm-hmm. saying, no, a woman has to fund it. You have to fund those velodrome hours somehow. And I think Alex Dowsett said it was something like £3,000 that he spent on the velodrome as his as, as, mm. as training. So mm-hmm. you've got the biopassport, you've got the velodrome time you've got equipment I guess you've also got Mm -hmm. the money that you're not making at work that you're you know the kind of negative money do you know what I mean that you're Mm, you're, you're not making do you have any idea of how much this is going to cost you and how are you funding it
1: yes I do so you know how much it costs to get onto the biological passport no no it's a seven and a half thousand euro seven and
0: a half thousand euro wow Yes, yes it is yeah, well, no wonder they're not Yeah, no wonder aren't <laughs> on it. But wow, that's amazing. And, and is that a fun, that's a funding from you, Dr. Brady? Well, I,
1: I had to pay the check for sure. Uh, I'm fortunate enough that then um, when I, after I got over the shock of that, uh, yeah. and and in fact when I received that um, information, I immediately emailed Sarah Story and Molly Van Howling because I guess I um, this this says a lot about the history, I suppose, of the UCI. But I worried that there wasn't a lot of transparency around that number. Yeah, and I was a bit no, confused. Yes,
0: and also, and also, they've being in Australia. Are they charging you more because blah 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 distance <coughs> and stuff like
1: that? Than- well, yeah, the bus has to be flown over on a flying kangaroo all the way. From-
0: <laughs> well, you know, they, 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 well, you know, the the drugs testing gets blamed. You know, it got blamed a couple of years ago for one of the times the tour of New Zealand got cancelled, didn't it? Oh, you <laughs> know, drugs testing. And,
1: look, I can understand the logistics in and around anti-doping protocols, and and it is it is not cheap, and it would be very expensive. And I imagine once you've set up the CADF, the Cycling Anti-Doping Foundation, which is where they've where the company that organises the anti-doping protocols for the UCI, that requires a lot of time commitment, money, people to do properly, to do transparently. So, um, I, I can thank um, our fa- everybody's favourite Texan. That Because I think that um, if it weren't for a lack of trust in transparency and if it weren't for a major, you know, outpouring of information in and around violations of anti-doping protocol by elite men five to ten years ago, this probably wouldn't be necessary. Um, And I guess through a hitch in Pro Tour um, men's teams paying a large fee to get their riders on it, as you say, I can be Alex Brandley or uh, sorry, Matthias Brandley or um, some of those other writers that think oh, I'm just going to go down to Mexico and do the hour record, he or she can do that if they're on the biological passport. So what happened was that Sarah Story, Dame Sarah Story, and Molly and her husband Rob confirmed to me that yes, they had to be on the biological passport, and yes, that was the fee involved. Yeah. Now Sarah is a, um, a Paralympian in the GB team, and she's long time being on the biological passport because she's been to Paralympics. So that was something that she was already in the RTP, but she didn't personally have to outlay that and she shouldn't have to Mm. being Mm. um, such a high calibre Paralympian. Uh, I had a good chat with Rob Van Howling about this and he confirmed as well that there was just, more questions and and so exactly how come that amount and, and you know, how come Kristen Armstrong isn't on the bile passport? And oh, how my comes... God, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so there are a lot of female elite athletes that aren't on this and that's what's interesting. So that comes down to then what types of events are they doing and it is a federation's responsibility to test women. So in the past, I mean, it does raise a really interesting side topic, which is... Um, how much doping is there going on in the women's peloton? And my view of that has always been uh, infinitesimal amount, you know, that we know that women don't make any money is point one, and doping is expensive, point two. So and as, so, I'm not suggesting that women are all pure and they don't dope. It's that the opportunity is not there. Uh, they don't always have the funds to do it. And when we've seen women have um, anti-doping violations in the past, probably five to ten years, they've generally been in and around stimulants or yeah. um Appetite suppressants, mm. and we really haven't. I would, I, I'd be guessing, but I think we've seen maybe a one woman showed up to the Beijing Olympics, uh, a Spanish rider, and was turned around after she had a positive doping test. Reo, yeah, and
0: that's then we had Rasillevita was done for EPO that's, a couple of years ago. Yeah, so um, there, back yeah.
1: stories because there's only one or two of them every few years, and that's. I suggest it's it's much more about. Um, the, the cost benefit ratio and I mean that from a financial perspective because we know that women in other sports dope nearly as much as men do so it's not about you know a lack of motivation or that mm-hmm. women don't mm-hmm. ever break rules they're just as hungry and ambitious and um, desperate as male athletes yeah so I think that women uh, cyclists haven't had the, the funds or the, or the need to and then of course when not many women are doping it's possible to be clean and be extraordinary and beat people so yes. Again, no motivation. There's not as much depth as there is in the men's pro peloton. So, sorry, that's an aside, a boring lecture about women and anti-doping. But I think that um, I had no problem at all committing money to this as much as it was costing me an arm and a leg. But because I I thought if I'm going to do this and break the record, well, I want it to be official. I want there to be a UCI dude there that hands me a piece of paper that says guess what you're the new world record holder and good good work by you and then it's all all the boxes have been ticked yeah. and then my performance is worthy and there's no oh but she wasn't on the rtp and she just how do we know how long she really trained for it and then there's all these question marks hanging over it so yeah. uh, and she's while, a
0: doctor she's got access to really good drugs she works <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Breast cancer. What does that mean? She could be on chemo. Um, no, but I think that it's easy to joke about doping yeah. when you when you don't do it. Um, yeah. So, so I've had a few um, anti doping tests in the last few months, and I've also had quite a lot of blood and urine um, anti doping years ago. So when I'd raced in Europe in eight, nine, two thousand ten, I had a couple in America in two thousand twelve. So that's the that's the thing advantage I have, I suppose, over Molly Van Howling is that the UCI. Um, and ASADA already had quite a lot of data on me. Yeah. So they've got some good comparisons in terms of, so Biopassport obviously is looking at things like hematocrit full blood count and, and red cell count rather than urine testing, which is looking at the presence of um, exogenous substances. So um, they have now collections of both of those things so they can prove now that I am a human woman. <laughs> Not and, a
0: cycle. And then in terms of in terms of the cost of the velodrome and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I mean, can you give us a ballpark figure for how much you think it's going to cost you financially?
1: Um, I mean, not in layout. It costs me money every time I go training there and I'm going to be going to the Adelaide Superdrome in December to do some recon and check that out and that costs me money and it costs me money to hire it out when I want to have it personally. So probably not as much as douse it because... Um, we have a really amazing facility disc here in Victoria in Melbourne where I train and it's literally, you are going to laugh, but to go there on a public open day is five bucks an hour. So uh, it's kind of like paying to go to a public pool and occasionally you'll go there and in the lane will be crowded with people doing breaststroke and occasionally there'll be nobody there. So if I want the track to myself, I have to pay a lot more than that. But, yeah. um you know, it might end up being a few thousand dollars in total for, for the uh, year, but it, it's that's not been my major cost. So, um, but again, that's worth it. It's necessary. Um, but as you say, that's also then time off work. It's also time that my coaches are coming, that they're personally giving to me, so that costs me money. So there's um, there are a lot of costs. And then there's equipment that I've been given by wonderful sponsors, and there's also other equipment that I've bought, you know, yeah, but yeah, go to yeah. the shop and buy the shoes that you want to ride, or choose the helmet and buy that helmet. So, um, trial another helmet. That helmet's not fast for me. You know, get aero coaching to come down and look at my CDA. So, yeah, absolutely, these things cost money. Um, I think if we added up what Wiggins' attempt was, it would be a little higher into the stratosphere on the budget. But he's he's looking at point one percenters, and so he should.
0: Mm-mm. So I was going to say, are you going to go in a wind tunnel and, you know, check your get your posture completely as good as you can or is that just... Is uh, I've that...
1: already had my, my aero position looked at in real time with Alpha Mantis Tech, um, a guy who works in Sydney called um, Alex Simmons, runs a business called Aero Coach and that business has been, um, I guess, quasi-franchised to a, a bloke in England called Xavier Disley who also runs Aero Coach assessments with alpha mantis technology so that's basically you riding around the velodrome at a stable power output and they have a real-time analysis of what your cda or your coefficient of drag is while you're riding riding and for me that was much more important than going to a wind tunnel i've been to a wind tunnel many times to look at my road time trial position and i've been put in some ridiculously aero positions that were terrific as long as you don't want to breathe or see (laughs) and I think that there is absolutely a place for wind tunnel testing if you haven't had it before, but I really wanted to see what what happens to my body, my head, my shoulders, my power output and my speed when I'm actually travelling on a track. So uh, that was much more important to me as a person who already knew they were starting with a pretty good position and we just had to tweak some things and, and make some uh, reassurances to ourselves about helmet choice, uh, where my elbows were, where my hands were, um, where my my butt was sitting on the saddle—those sorts of things. So we did. We spent a whole day doing that um, uh, before I went away to New York. So that was September.
0: Mm. So I mean, I guess that's another cost, isn't it? That's like yeah. Wow. yeah. So how how are you funding it? If you don't mind me, you can say I'm. You can say no comments. Um, but. I've
1: been very fortunate to be, my, I'm funding it by um, my own bank account and also by the generous su- financial support of some of my personal sponsors. So some uh, a company called Duck's streams Foundation that has also sponsored my National Rose Series team has made a contribution to the financial component of this and two other um, people I'd like to name one is my bank which is really totally cool Um, I have a mortgage with a bank called Bendigo Bank and they're a community bank and Mm -hmm. in fact they're the only bank that were going to give me a mortgage before I got a job Um, they probably thought she does have a medical degree there should be some possible (laughs) learning potential
0: (laughs) 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 she can do something
1: I was a poverty-stricken uh, bike rider so they gave me a mortgage and I approached them because they've been incredibly supportive of community projects in the past and in fact they've provided some financial support to Peter Mullins who is our national road champion and national mountain bike champion and um, I approached them and they gave me some cash which was fantastic so they get some logo space on my suit and the third company that has helped me with that is an amazing company that a friend of mine has a startup called Frank Green he makes some um, reusable coffee cups but also also has invented an incredible system called cafe pay where you can pay for your coffee before you get there through a chip in your cup and it basically removes all the ridiculous taxes associated with eftpos and credit card and it also means you can buy your friends a coffee and they can show up to their coffee shop and swipe their coffee coffee cup and and get a free coffee at their local coffee shop so it's trying to um, grab onto this kind of cashless economy but also do something that's good for the environment and they so frankgreen.com.au you should check out the awesome cups that they do
0: amazing oh oh my god it's really inspiring i'm really
1: <laughs> I have totally turned you around. I totally so
0: have. It's amazing. I mean, so when when did you get this crazy idea? I mean, cuz you've been racing cause you you you've been racing and doing really well um in Australian races. I think, you know, you were you were second in the ITT stage at the NRS Tour of the Mersey Valley and you beat tons of tons of big name riders. Race. Yeah, I you won, won that, that stage. Oh yeah, the, IT, yeah, the, the ITT stage. I was second stage. at, National this year, second at yeah. nationals, and you won the uh, you won the um, you won the ITT stage at Mersey Valley, which was some yeah. serious competition. Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, I beat the uh, world IP
1: champion Rebecca Weiszak. Look, she's not a. <laughs> I I think you know it's terrible when you become a world champion because then people, if they beat you down to the shops, they go, "Yes, I beat her when, <laughs> when she was tired after training." But you know that Rebecca Weiszak is an absolutely world class athlete, and um, she won the three-kilometre individual pursuit at World Champs this year on the track and was part of the women's TP squad. She's a very powerful, extremely consistent time trialist. And I was probably more afraid of her than um, Felicity Wardler, who's a, been a, a national time trial champion, and some other great TT riders at that tour that I did. And then and I, th- I suppose I got the idea after nationals. So in January, we have our national champs here, and I had prepared um, what I felt was just the best I could have done and... Uh, I felt like I'd gotten skinny enough without getting cranky enough, you know, that it's always hard to get skinny without getting cranky for a hilly time trial. But um, I had probably one of my best time trial performances and I was really devastated not to win. Um, Sure, I was beaten by an Olympian, and um, a woman who's now won four national time trial titles, Shara Gillow, mm. who's riding for Bank this year and they got second in the world team's time trial championship. So she's not shabby on a time trial bike. But um, I just kind of, I thought, ah, God damn it! when am I going to do something good and worthy? Wow. <laughs> I think like so many time trialists or many, many elite athletes, we are often, A, very hard on ourselves and, B, we're looking for something to do a performance or a result that's extraordinary that's natural i mean we're we're very self absorbed sometimes when we're athletes and we're very driven to do something that leaves a legacy you know i think Anyone, any young man who's seen uh, a rider kiss the cobblestones of their trophy when they win Paris Roubaix, thinks, "I want to win that race. Mm. You know, I want to do something amazing, um, and and leave a legacy for a minute, or an hour, or a year, or forever." Um, and that's a sure that's an arrogant thing to do because you want you want your work, and your commitment, and dedication, and all the endless days that are exhausting and disappointing and end in crashes and punctures and just mediocre performances. You want all of them to be worth and to mean something. And I really, I feel like me committing, preparing, enacting and hopefully setting a new world record on the track is a culmination in a lot of those things. So, sure, it's, it's putting a lot of pressure on myself, but I, I think we all thrive under pressure and um, it's terrifying but it's exhilarating at the same time. And I think after Nationals, I thought, um, I clearly am not slowing down yet, even mm. though I'm extremely old at 41. Um, I'm clearly not, um, my, my peak power is improving. My functional threshold power is improving. My pedalling is improving. And that's not a surprise. I haven't actually been riding that long. I've been riding for less years than Tiffany Cromwell. Yeah. And Tiffany Cromwell, consider herself to be still with room to move and she's just a lot younger than me uh, Amanda Spratt she's been riding a lot lo- longer than me and she's a way younger than me and still would be thinking how can I get better so these were women that were in the first national team that I was in in 2008 and they were like kids you know mm-hmm. but I was less experienced than they are so I'm not a neo pro anymore but I am still um, a young athlete when it comes to elite performance. And so I'm still improving. I still come away from crits that I do here locally or national road series races and think, oh, gee, that was better. I'm attacking a little bit better. I'm chasing brakes down a little bit better. I'm getting on top of my gear's a bit better um, i never think i'm climbing better because i'm never climbing better but um you know when, it, when we're thinking about my when i think about myself as an athlete I'm, I'm still improving so that's also reassuring um i'm not on the way out and this isn't like a last hurrah sort of event i think that um there are a lot of athletes out there that are thinking hmm okay what do i need to do to tap into these areas of my physiology and that's what's so great about Ken and Steve, the two guys that work for HP Tech who are coaching me, they're scientific minds. They're they're looking at my performances very um, analytically, if that's a word, and they're saying, hmm, this is where you seem to be lacking in this area. How can we improve that to improve how much power you can generate for an hour without it costing you as much from a physiological sense? So mm-hmm. to have those people give me that information, it's really reassuring. It makes it less complicated, less stressful, less unknowns. Um you know, and in fact, I had I had a great phone call from one of them, Steve, a few months ago, um, saying he wanted to congratulate me, and I said, "Oh, why is that?" And he said, "I've just ridden on the track on, for the first time on Ken, our other coach's bike." He said, "It's really hard." <laughs> <laughs> the goal speed, and I had my hands on the aero bars, and I was just looking at that line, and like it's really hard to see, and it's hard to. Oh, I said, "God, so yeah." And I thought, "Oh, finally, <laughs> he's giving me some kudos for being able to do what I do." <laughs> it was really cool. That goes to show how committed they are. They, they. They went, when we were talking about starts for my pursuit race that I'm going to do on the weekend, they both went, they watched like dozens of YouTube clips of starts in pursuits and and time trials. And then they said, okay, this is how you do a start because none of us had ever done one before. You're all going to walk around here. You're going to be above the bike. I'm going to hold the bike. You're going to step over. You clip your back foot in. And I know this all sounds really remedial to anyone who's ever raced on a track before. But I've never done this before. What? So to have two two guys do this and explain it to me, I think, cool. They know what they're doing.
0: Well, racing a fixie. I mean, I I'm fascinated oh, by what, what's been. Te- I, I, tell me everything about about riding track as, <laughs> it as feels a.
1: Really- It feels so different. I heard a great quote from Alex Dowsett, which was just wonderful, made me feel much better about it. He said, when you ride um, a time trial, it makes you realize how easy a road race is because there's so much time that you're freewheeling and going downhill and sitting on wheels. And he said, and then when you ride a track bike, you realize how easy doing a time trial is because... (laughs) Riding an hour record or a track bike, there is never, on you don't corner and go, oh, there's a couple of pedal strokes I didn't have to do, or ah, there's a couple of seconds I didn't have to put any effort in. You are putting an effort in with every single pedal stroke. So that's something I've had to learn too in the first few sessions, um, just little stuff like your calves and hamstrings pull up a lot more fatigued because if you think about the pedal stroke, it's not just all about this kind of quad recruitment where you're pushing down. You want to drag across the bottom using your calves and you want to pull up using your hammies and then you want to push down with your hip flexors and your butt muscles. So that's something that, you know, that pedaling motion where you're recruiting all parts of your lower limbs for a sustained amount of time at a high power, that's something that Dowsett is way better at than me. So I've improved um, remarkably at that. I've gone from zero to good.
0: <laughs> and, to gr- and great is just around the great corner. Now, just around the corner. Now, uh, this, is, this is possibly a, a less nice question. It's possibly a little, but, but what would you, I mean, I guess. You, you do the hour. You win the hour. What happens then if someone comes and just beats you two weeks later? You know, there's someone else who's planning right now who, who announced. I mean, how, how I, would, would you be? I, I don't think I'd be able to cope with that. I think I'd want to kill everyone. Or will it just make you want to do it again? I don't, I don't know if I'd want to do it again or not. It would depend. I heard Molly
1: say um, in her last podcast on the Cycling Time Talk podcast that she said, if someone broke it again by not very much, she would be motivated. If they broke it by two kilometres, well, she'd think, I, I don't have much more in me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I know you're trying to be kind, but I think that is a really mean question because, as I'd said to you before, this is actually all about me. For the first right. time ever, I'm not thinking about, oh, what if there's someone better than me right around the corner? I, re- I truly haven't. And, in fact, until you brought that up with me, I haven't thought, until you mentioned Brenauer and Van Dyke. I hadn't even thought about them like that's maybe i'm reaching a higher plane in my athletic performance where that that thing that sports psychs and coaches always tell you to do which is just stop thinking about everybody else and think about what is beyond your control i can't control the dna that van dyke was born with or the motivation she has in her brain or her cash or her opportunities or her equipment i cannot i am not her I have not had the same experiences as her. She hasn't had the same experiences as me. Mm, She hasn't mm, learned mm. from her failings the way I have. She hasn't gained uh, maturity. She's not as old as me. She doesn't, she can't take out someone's appendix. You know, there's there's a lot of variation in our abilities. So I'm not comparing myself to her and I can't control that. Seriously, there are so many things within this hour record attempt that I can control that I need to focus on that I'm not that stressed about it. And like Molly, I think that's a great point. If someone broke my world record by a metre, I'd think, oh, fuck, I can do that again. But do I want to? I, I'm, I'm doing this to be, I, I really want to be exceptional. And the other wonderful thing, particularly for Australian cycling fans is that an Australian woman hasn't done this for 15 years and and it was done by Anna Wilson who was arguably our best rider of that era she got fourth in the time trial and fourth in the road race at the Sydney Olympics um she was a world cup winner such a versatile rider she did it on the old rules when the when the she wasn't allowed to ride an aero bike and then her her record was totally blasted by everybody's favorite French grandmother Jeannie Longo so (laughs) Um, but yes. again, I don't think that made Anna Wilson want to go out and break it again a week later. This this isn't about one-upmanship. You know, maybe it is in the men's racing because there are other agenda at play, like bike sponsorship or uh, team prowess. But I really believe that Alex Dowsett, um, and I've heard, spoken to him about this, he you know, He feels very proud of his performance. He also raised a lot of money and awareness for haemophilia, which is a, um, yeah. a chronic illness that he has, and he promoted that process and, and the awareness of that disease. He did wonderful things. He's an exceptional athlete. The way he prepared and enacted his plan was a thing of beauty, and that's, you know, that hashtag perfect hour. It really was. It was a perfect hour. Sure, Brad Wiggins beat it, but Brad's not Alex, and I think that that's one of the hard parts about road cycling and time trials, we look at a result, we see a results list, and we see Lizzie Armitstead's name above everybody else's at World Road Championships. But there were some really exceptional performances in that race that will not Get really talked about. I mean, a Polish rider attacked with a lap to go and was away on her own, and that Polish team rode so well oh, in the women's so road. Well, and see. when when
0: when Valentina Scandolara and Lauren Kitchen, when they realised that, that the stage. when the break wasn't gonna when the other break, break riders weren't gonna work for them, and they just didn't give up. I mean, I would have cried for days if one of those had <laughs> won the world. I just just,
1: just, Thanks, Sarah, but I think absolutely. So I I think we've might have talked about this in the past before. Um, there is a lot of really good data from a sports psych point of view and from um, elite athletes who are really extraordinary, guys like Bonin, Cancellara, uh, women like Voss, who talk about what can I control? What performance goals should I have? Result goals are very difficult to manage in road cycling. They are very difficult to manage. You can't control if someone else around crashes in front of you and you crash. You can be the best athlete there, but there are so many environmental factors that in affect your result. So mm. while there are less environmental factors affecting my result when I perform an hour record, something could still go wrong. I mean, yeah. God damn, I could puncture. You could get, um, you could you get know, the
0: flu the week before. You know, you yeah, could. the lights could go
1: out, you know, yeah. the timing thing stuff up um the agitation level of this that or the other and there's a lot of communication that goes on in an hour and as molly van howling said you know it's people have been very complimentary about her pacing strategy and said but i think we all time trial well when we're getting information every 19 seconds you know you're getting you have to be a bit of a jerk to to not take that information in and think (laughs) oh i'm still above schedule what that's not good i really need to change things so i think I I do think that um, while I appreciate your question, it's never been on my mind and I think it's because you're a journalist that's covering elite and, and professional women's cycling. So all those names and those people are in your mindset. I'm just here in this funny little island on the other side of the world, you know. I'm just doing my thing and... If anything, this is a, a really cool thing for women cycling in this country because we have so many great women cyclists not only in Australia racing the National Road Series but representing Australia by racing in the US and Europe. Mm. Um, and a lot of them aren't household names the way Simon Gerrans and um, Michael Matthews are. And if... If anything, if this gives some promotion to the number of women that are racing and riding for for Australia, that's a really great thing as, as well.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I'm fascinated. Um, how are you documenting it? How are you going to be documenting this? Are you are you going to be blogging? Are you videoing it? Are you? Um, I've, are you tweeting? I've been doing a
1: daily diary in my own private uh, daily diary app because, of course, it was a secret until Monday. So I've been documenting it um, for about six months. And um, my little blog on Monday was just kind of like a ridiculously brief summary of how things have been going. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, there hasn't been any other kind of form of media or self sort of directed podcasting but um that's something that i've been thinking about doing as i get closer is doing a bit of a um, update on how i'm going i also i suppose i don't want to give away too much information because um you know if It depends how many people. It's not like I'm Ronda Rousey and people are following my every training session. Um, It's not that fascinating or high profile. So I think that um, you have to be careful about not getting too um, wrapped up in it. I'm I'm wrapped up enough, but I also have a job and I have a partner and I have um, family that I need to look out for. Um, there's lots of you know everyone has personal lives that can be stressful or difficult or interesting or wonderful. You don't want to. Um, I'm I'm not a cyborg, so I'm I'm going to make sure I'm keeping a little bit of balance in the approach to it as well because that makes me more relaxed and then yeah. my training sessions are more successful. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and are you? I I mean, I love the idea of doing it as an event. You know, people who are out there to watch the Tour Down Under can then come and watch you, and obviously. You know, a roaring crowd like, 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 like Game Sarah Story had uh, when she mm. did it Revolution is 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 something that will just like lift can lift the soul, isn't it? Are, are I you, think. So. Are you planning to stream it? I mean, I know Molly yeah, paid gonna for be, it herself.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's going to be live streamed Um from so all over the world on the world, wwws, and and then it will be maybe on TV. Look again, that stuff Ooh. is being. All, by Max. So hopefully that will be something that, yeah, people can watch. Um, I know that they had some challenges with their live stream down in Mexico. They did an amazing job setting all of that up, Molly and Rob. But um, yeah, this will be live streamed. So people can watch and, you know, tweet offensive or encouraging things as they <laughs> see fit.
0: Yeah, you can have like, you know, one person telling you how you're doing on the. Um, yeah, you know, I do. And then someone else holding up a great big sign saying, you know, fuck you, O'Donnell, or whatever, or go, Bridie, or whatever. um,
1: Starting this job on TV, I do a job um, on the project where I'm, like, the TV doctor and we talk about health-related things. And what's been really interesting about that is, firstly, I learned a lot about being on TV. That's really fascinating. And secondly, that, you know, you can record a seven-minute interview about something important, like um, getting health notes to to see, have a sick day or um, hangovers and binge drinking and it might get edited down to a minute and, ha- and a half and then lunatic people will tweet at me that, I, oh, I see, Bridie doesn't care about cancer. All she cares about is binge drinking. Yeah. Or, um, you know, like, and you think, wow, so many people so quick to be outraged. I got a s- sort of absolutely assaulted on Twitter the other day for an offhanded joke I made about bacon and sausages and cancer. And um, some lunatic people called me a pedophile, moron, leftist, communist, fascist, which I thought, oh. given if you into modern history I don't know if you can be a leftist and a fascist but what would I know oh no 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 um, but
0: Bridie remember you see like the Nazis were called national socialists and so that means that all socialists are national socialists so all leftists are rightists
1: well, your knowledge is better than mine I, I, I think lo-
0: that's that that's the theory <laughs> I think that I think that's the theory of stupid people theory um, <laughs> wow I, I, I wanna, I want to talk to you for hours and hours and hours but this has been too long already um (laughs) let's just plug some other things you're doing obviously you won a prize you wanna you wanna you wanna you want a doctor prize and that's why (laughs) you're in New York didn't you yeah I did win a doctor
1: prize the hospital I work has a really amazing foundation that um generous and benevolent donors give money to to help further educate the staff that work there. So basically I applied and won for a scholarship to travel to the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio and attend the Centre for Integrative Medicine, which is basically this very cool uh, clinic as part of the Cleveland Clinic, which is this enormous hospital. I mean it's the biggest employer in all of Ohio, the Cleveland Clinic. And um, So I went there <clears throat> and went every day to this clinic and saw the way they use um evidence-based medicine to basically better prescribe health for their patients. So instead of let's just give blood pressure and cholesterol tablets to people who are have elevated blood pressure or elevated cholesterol or who are overweight, let's educate them, give them skills, give them information and try and reduce lifestyle and Western diseases by making um, the community have more information, feel more confident. Um, It's this great concept that many people who, I'm sure many of your listeners who work in marketing, advertising, business uh, psychology will know, which is called motivational interviewing. So how can we use the carrot and not the stick to help someone change their behavior? Oh, I
0: I haven't even been to my, you're now 40, go to your checkup because of the leaflet that they sent, which was basically, you're going to die. (laughs) <laughs> the leaflet was just like, you, you're going to have diabetes, you're going to get cancer, I know, I'm, I, know I'm, I know I'm a bit overweight, so bad, and so I just didn't go.
1: <laughs> and that's a great example, or it's the same as me sitting opposite um, an overweight person whose diabetes is being poorly controlled, and me saying at the end of a 10-minute consultation and writing down to cover myself, ah, patient needs to lose 20 kilos, and I say, hey, Frank, you need to lose 20 kilos. Frank will say to me, no kidding, thanks for the info, and then we go, okay. <laughs> off you go, off you go and lose the 20 kilos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, that being said, most family doctors and um, general practitioners are really pushed for time. So we can't be too critical of the pressure that they're under mm. because they really are pushed for time. And it's better for them to say, Frank, you need to lose weight than not say it. But the luxury for someone like me is that I do have more time with my patients. And so I would say, Frank, and this is exactly the conversation I had with a patient of mine last week, whose name is not Frank, I said, you know, do you mind if we talk about your weight? You know, you get permission from someone to say, is that okay? And they always say, oh, sure, because they know they're overweight. And I'll say, so you've lost weight in the past. What, what's the lightest weight you've ever been as an adult? What's the heaviest weight? What happened then? What was going on in your life when you were your heaviest? What was going on with your life when you were your lightest? And you find out things about them. And they say, I joined a gym, my buddy was trying to lose weight as well, we did this together, I lost 20 kilos, I weighed 80 kilos, I felt so much better. And you ask them, how did you feel? Oh, I slept better, my sex life was better, I had more energy, uh, I, I, I ate better food. And then you say, and then what happened? Oh, and then I got that promotion and I had all these deadlines for my sales. So you're developing a relationship with the patient, you, you're establishing a care factor, you empathise. Suddenly you think, okay, this, is guy, this guy's got a life, a family, a job, he's got stress, he's got a wife that makes him food that, and and the only time he sees her at night is when she's providing this beautiful meal so he eats a lot of it. You know, there's all of this amazing behaviour and psychological but sort of strategies in and around the way we eat and, and sleep and exercise and very little of them have anything to do with hunger, mm. you know. Mm. So we are a country that's overweight like America so I learned a lot from these doctors and it was about educating patients, being kinder to them, giving them more time, And then guess what? You show them an article that says, guess what? In Harvard, they did this study and they showed that when people did this, their blood pressure improved, their cholesterol improved, and they weren't taking tablets. There were no side effects. And the wonderful thing too about educating patients and improving health literacy is that it actually has a greater effect on the community. So if if you had high blood pressure and I give you a tablet, your blood pressure is improved, but there's no real effect on your world. Sure, your loved ones get to spend more time with you because you live longer and you have less risk of stroke and heart disease. But if you start going to your little office job and you're eating more salad and more vegetables and you're going for a walk in the middle of the day and you're notching up your steps from your pedometer and you're writing it up on the wall, they suddenly go, hey, did you notice that Sarah's walking more at lunchtime and she's eating salad with tuna instead of eating dim sims or chips on bread, yum. Um, You know, so suddenly they're seeing this woman in her environment modifying her behaviour and they are influenced by that. And then you have a pedometer step challenge at your workplace, you know, in your office. And then you have people who are other people that are starting to think, oh, let's all go in this fun run or let's all aim for a weight loss strategy because maybe other people in your office space are a little bit overweight. And suddenly you're having this effect on people that's really positive that that a blood pressure tablet would never have. And that's a very reassuring thing as a health practitioner to think, wouldn't it be great if there was no more elevated cholesterol? There was no, no type 2 diabetes or elevated blood pressure. Wouldn't that be awesome? The the pharmaceutical companies don't feel very good about that concept. (laughs) But for me, I'm really passionate about that stuff, not only for people to prevent disease but also to people manage their breast cancer, bowel cancer, prostate cancer, managing their stress and anxiety and mental health. So it's a really important part of my job. I feel very fortunate that I have the jobs that I have.
0: Wow. And you've got your other job very quickly. You're doing your Sisu Girls podcast and Mm. that is interesting i have been passing it on to people who go oh, i need another oh, podcast thank you. yeah like, yeah sisu girls everyone should listen to variety because you're great I mean, I mean yeah
1: that's been so cool i've been loving it yeah
0: um do a little brief a little brief sisu girls in one um, sentence
1: it's just uh, sisu girls is an organization that wants to help girls step into themselves they want them to be more courageous brave and resilient and they're doing that through outdoor ed So they asked me to interview some really remarkable women, and and I also interviewed my dad to talk about language around girls, sport, um, what made those women the confident, successful women they are. So I spoke to elite athletes and Olympians and CEOs, administrators, my father, who was a primary school teacher and, and sports coach for 50 years, you know, so it was just a, i really wanted to just i know this sounds wanky but start the conversation get people thinking about what do they do to their with their daughters that is different from what they do with their sons how are mm, they encouraging mm. how are they encouraging their boys to go ride bikes but they worry about their daughter crashing or hurting herself or what do they say to their daughters about her body or her face that is different from what they say you know yeah. my niece is 7 and she said there was a girl at school that asked her mum that she needed to wear tighter sports bra she's only nine years old because other girls in her class said that she was wobbling too much and her body was wobbling and that was ugly and I thought wow no wonder girls are not Mm. doing Mm. not continuing sport when they hit puberty because they're so damn petrified about how they look doing it and there are a lot of chubby boys out there and they're not worried about as much they are but they're not as worried as much about how they look they're worried about being fast and strong Mm. And skillful. And that's what we want girls to start thinking about. How can I be fast, strong, and skillful? Not do I look like that Nike model doing tennis. Mm. They just should be playing tennis or swimming or yeah, dancing yeah. Or, or you know. So that's what that was about. And I had a I had a great time.
0: And are you gonna do more of that? Because um, you've we, had some we, interesting we, podcasting this year.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I I would like to, but I might just put that off until after January. <laughs>
0: Oh well please 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 come back and talk to me again after January because I am so fascinated you've converted me. Oh I'm going to have I'm to desperate. it's terrible. <laughs> so um, people can follow you. You're on bridey.com.au, aren't you? Yes. On on your website. You've got your um you've got your Instagram. Where are you on Instagram?
1: At bridey underscore O D, same as my Twitter account.
0: Um, yeah, you've and your blog, website, Twitter. Um, you, people can get links to your podcasts from all of those, from all of those mm-hmm. places, can't they? Um, they, can. they can follow you with um, the Bridie's Hour hashtag.
1: Yeah, we tried to think of a better one. If you, if anyone can think of a better one, please send it my way. Yeah, it's got to be um, short. I
0: actually, I do know the internet, um, the, the the Twitter Women's Cycling Detective Club we'll come up with a really good one for you because we're all <laughs> obsessed with very me. short, you know, very short hashtags that also aren't like connected to porn or something like that because, <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> that, that, you. that thing of people not actually searching on the hashtag before they use it. I love it when that happens. Okay. So people <laughs> can tweet you at Bridy underscore OD or get in touch with you from all those different ways and tell you a new hashtag. If, but keep using that one. They, sh- if they're in Adelaide on twenty second of January or near Adelaide, they should go to the mm-hmm. to the to the super to the Superdrome and cheer like, that like that. cheer like lunatics. Um, <laughs> think about comedy things to wear and wave and stuff. And well, that's a good idea. Yeah, fancy dress would be terrific. Yeah, you know, dress up as doctors. I don't know, dress up as um, dress up as crazy Australian x-rower <laughs> obsessive <laughs> scientists. <laughs> <laughs> Orthopedic surgeons dress up as orthopedic surgeons for Friday and yeah, oh my god, good luck, man! Good luck, good luck, luck, good luck, good luck. Thanks so much for the chat. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna be like saying, I'm gonna be cursing you when it's like you know, two in the morning and I'm watching you go round and round a velodrome. What are you talking about?
1: It'll be the middle of the day. It's perfect time for America and perfect time for the UK. We are like saints down here and we're not like you bloody World Cup rugby. It's oh, that it all, all of Australia and New Zealand has to wake up at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: but you got your revenge by kicking us all out, didn't you?
1: Yeah, but we didn't get revenge, our, our, our All Blacks, that's for sure. They yes, were amazing.
0: They were. Anyway, well, you'll be amazing. You'll be the All Blacks of the hour. <laughs> I'll <just, I> <laughs> hark yeah. <laughs> I look forward to the bridey culturally, you know, the, 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 the cultural equivalent of an sure, Irish it. Australian. What that is. <laughs> oh, maybe I should have pipers. That's nice. <gasps> you should. You should be pipe Oh my God! Imagine how good a piper would sound in a velodrome. Okay, if anyone's an Irish piper
1: in Adelaide, could they please get in contact? Right, so though? we need Irish
0: pipers, we need a new hashtag, <laughs> we need fancy dress.
1: Yeah, it'll be like, oh, my goodness, you know, remember in Million Dollar Baby where she walks out and she's got McCushla on the back of her um, gown and nobody knows and she doesn't know what that means and all the Irish people start cheering and crying. If that happens, I probably would cry.
0: <sighs> I'm. This is going to be great. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Thank and you. Thank all, you. All, the, all the luck in the world.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah Tell.
0: To find the links to everything Bridie and I talked about today, go to my website, prowomenscycling.com. And big thanks, as always, to my Patreon supporters who fund me to do these kind of interviews. If you want to know about that, go to www.patreon.com womenscycling And keep, keep going back to my blog because I'll be putting lots more links up to Bridey's Hour, how you can watch it, everything like that, nearer the time. Thank you for listening.